0: SCP 4036 The Republic Anomalous autonomy is something the Foundation has always struggled with to some degree. It's a no brainer to contain some big bad monster that's only interested in mayhem and destruction, but things can be a little murkier when it comes to some anomalous humans. Many of them just want to live out their lives in peace, but the Foundation's rigid dedication to preserving normalcy often gets in the way of that. SCP-4036 is not about a single person, but rather an entire nation of the anomalous, and while things are fairly clear-cut at first, the Foundation will eventually have to decide how far they'll go with containment. SCP-4036 is a small, unitary, theocratic republic located in an archipelago in the southeastern region of Polynesia. The archipelago is 300 kilometers in radius and 100,000 square kilometers in area, and the citizens of the republic refer to their nation as the Adatite Republic of Polynesia. It was previously under the autocratic rule of a man named Norman Taylor from 1857 to 1862, before his assassination by foundation-backed groups in the region. Prior to his assassination, the republic was highly militaristic, combining industrial age technology with biological weaponry to create a mobilized military. The government had controlled around 30% of Polynesia, with the majority of its holdings in sparsely populated locations, but current authorities of the nation have disavowed Norman Taylor and previous imperialist ambitions. The population of the Republic is primarily anomalous, with current estimates ranging from 50% to 80%, and government statistics stating that around 64% is anomalous. The population is primarily capable of flesh manipulation, as the state religion of the republic is sarkicism, although there are small christian and islamic groups within the country. Freedom of religion is allowed under their constitution, but most non-sarkic instances worship in secret to prevent social and political ostracization. The society is primarily rural, with a few central urban areas where the majority of the population lives. These urban locations vary from standard concrete to biological buildings. Economically, the republic is built around animal and human agriculture, manufacturing, and tobacco farming, although trade is impossible due to the ongoing containment of the region by the foundation. Its government is divided into three branches—executive, legislative, and judicial. The legislative branch is further divided into three houses—the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the Carcist Council. The House of Representatives comprises around 100 individuals, each one representing 100 people. The Senate is composed of 10 delegates, each representing 1,000 people. The Karsist Council is a group of 20 individuals representing the main religious governing body, the Church of the Republic, of which all citizens are members. This council is made up of individuals hand selected by the Karsist, one of the leaders of the overarching Sarkic religion, and a bill can be made into law in one of two ways either by approval from 60% of both the Senate and House of Representatives or by a majority vote from the Carcist Council, even if one house unanimously rejects the proposal. In other words, sarcasm is a major driving force behind the laws of the republic. The executive branch is made up of a president, elected by popular vote, and their cabinet, both serving five-year terms with no chance for re-election all cabinet positions must be approved of by the carcist council in majority vote or by 60% of both the senate and house, again pointing to the authority of sarcasm here. The judicial branch makes up the supreme court of the republic, composed of six posts, all for life. This is made up of appointees chosen by the president and approved of by a simple majority in the senate and house. With the Carcist Council having no involvement in the appointment of judges. Overall, the society is a combination of proto-sarkic beliefs and modernity, with a heavy focus on religious and civic patriotism, as well as modern technology. Religiosity of Grand Carcist Ion is highly valued by the public, along with technological innovation. Electronic and digital products are popular among the people, with the majority of them coming from either smuggling or bootlegging. Biological machinery is also used by the populace, primarily among lower classes, although it's often viewed as inferior to digital and electronic technology and is usually used when non-biological options are not available. Often, lower classes are incapable of buying products, resorting to crafting their own, and it's believed that the average farm uses up to 30% of its produce in the creation of clothing for the farmer and their family. While social stratification exists in the society, every individual is entitled to adequate healthcare and food, with the healthcare being comparatively the cheapest in the world. This is most likely due more to the abundance of biological manipulation and crafting among the population than to any inherent superiority of the healthcare system. Participation in the republic's armed forces or civil duty is mandatory once a citizen reaches the age of 19, either spending two years in the armed forces or 16 months in civil duty. Most citizens choose the latter option. Since sarcasm is such a driving force of the republic, patriotic and religious feelings often coincide with one another in the nation's cultural depictions. Clavagar Sarn is often heavily associated with Lady Adytum, the personification of the republic, and prayer often occurs directly after a salute to the flag. Every president of the republic has cited a strong belief in sarcasm and the majority of the population hold the belief that an individual cannot be a citizen of the country without also being a sarkic. The republic's military often uses the seal of clavigar auroch, the clavigar of war and domination. Currently, the republic has been contained to around 300 islands, and not allowed to expand beyond these borders. While no official treaty or cooperative agreement has been established between the country and the foundation, there have been no further attempts by either side to cease the stalemate. The foundation navy keeps a constant perimeter of the area to ensure the republic's isolation, and foundation operatives have been embedded in various political, military, religious, and cultural institutions within the nation were provided a file detailing the Foundation's information on Norman Taylor, the founder of the Republic. As mentioned, Taylor became highly militaristic, forcing the Foundation to neutralize him before he became too much of a problem. Prior to Taylor's founding of the Republic, he developed a brief but impactful relationship with another man named William Walker in 1853. Walker was attempting to recruit mercenaries to create the independent Federal Republic of Sonora and the Republic of Lower California, as slave colonies in the region. However, by 1854, the relationship between the two had declined, and they split. By 1855, Taylor had heard various stories about a virgin island in the southern area of Polynesia, filled with resources such as sugarcane, tobacco, and gold. Notably, the region purportedly contained a population that had very little, if any, contact with European explorers, and was, in the eyes of some, servile in nature. In 1856, Taylor wrote to his brother John, who operated a private shipbuilding and trading service at the time, asking for a variety of ships for the journey. John delivered the ships at a reduced cost, but only under the condition that he never contact him again. By the following year, Taylor hired around 300 mercenaries to come with him in the total of 10 ships, outfitted with cannons and one year's worth of food for the entire crew. They departed for the island, despite Taylor having no direct evidence of its existence, only rumors. Fortunately, Taylor kept a journal of the trip, and I'll read it verbatim. Walker ruined Sonora and Baja, and is currently ruining Nicaragua. He is an immoral slaver who believes himself better than all others. I tried to force him in the right direction, but he would not listen to reason. This time, things will be sufficiently different. We have weaponry, and we are away from normal civilization, and away from the Americas, Of course, other colonial powers are nearby, but as long as we do not anger them or gain their attention, all things will turn out well. Walker was crude in his presidential style, only ever focusing on slavery, that horrific, barbaric institution. It was a fantasy, as if they would be set atop the aristocracy instead of a rich tennessean it's quite crude and immoral venture in my view a yellow man an anthropologist who was accompanying me on my voyage for the sake of easy communication with these tribesmen came to me in private confidence to warn me about his perceived fears over this project of mine i told him that such fears were not justified We were both Republicans. We both believed slavery was immoral. Did he not agree that it was the job of more civilized people, like us and the Japanese, to bring civilization to these poor, barbaric people, to provide them the tools and the resources to fight back against tyranny? Exploitation of the weak and powerless is inherent to the human condition. Cain slew Abel, just for being more pleasing in the eyes of our Lord and Savior. Four people on our planet, and we have our first murder. The first time blood was spilled upon the ground in the pursuit of petty revenge. It is our job to give these people some sort of equal standing, to have people defend them against exploitation. The yellow man agreed and went back to work. We reached the island. I saw a woman in the tree line matching the descriptions of the natives. She wore flesh-like things on her body, covering her below the waist. I'd almost say she was the living image of beauty herself, if the abhorrent symbols didn't dot her face and body. Children destroying their bodies for the sake of barbaric culture We made camp here, and plan on keeping camp here for as long as necessary. I believe these natives would make fine workers, if we gain the friendship of their cultural institutions. Loyalty to these institutions brings sacrifice for the greater good. Great civilizations are built on the back of good workers. To the east of this campsite, I found a small patch of dirt, with queer protrusions jutting from it. It was hairy, but not like plant fuzz, almost animal-like in its physicality. I felt an instinctual urge to pull on it, to see what there was. I ordered the men to help me when I could not get it out myself, and together we managed to rip the plant out of the ground. The protrusion was not a plant, but a tail—the tail of a large swine. We had ripped its tail off. How such a swine came into existence on this geographically isolated island, I am unsure. As we got up, we stared at the creature. It squealed in pain, trying to get itself up and walk, but it fell back on its side and continued to bleed and whimper. As it lay dying, I drew my pistol and killed the poor thing. I looked over the corpse after killing it. It seemed fully grown. A scout team has returned to our camp, four men dead and three more injured. They testified that while searching for natives, a large fifteen foot tall beast has come from the greenery on the beach side of the island. Bullets did nothing against the bone shields. I ordered my ships to scout the beachside, searching for the beast. Considering the circumstances, I believed it prudent. The beast attacked our camp. "'slaughtering twenty-one of our men. "'It towered at least nineteen feet, "'with the majority of its face surrounded by yellowy bone. "'This creature was foreign to me. "'It had the torso of a mammoth, "'the head of a horse, and the claws of a bear. "'Its torso was covered in thick white bone, "'and its claws being made entirely of flesh. "'They morphed and changed like liquid, liquid metal. It tore through men, slashing them apart like factory equipment, with giant long tendrils popping out of nowhere, only to be reabsorbed back into its body. Its flesh almost looked like a spider's web, interconnecting into itself, layering on top of one another. But it almost seemed to be independent of the beast, trying to force itself into a thousand different directions, but being stamped down by the superior force. Some of our men got stuck inside. Just touching it is enough to get stuck. An arm becomes your entire body. I can still hear the screams as those men were consumed inside the mass of flesh, as muffled as they were. I felt its eyes bore into me as our cannons tore through its flesh, leaving large holes in its body. It still twitches sometimes. I need to lay down or else I'll rip this page out. I plan on going to the middle of the island, seeing if there are any natives there. I'll take exactly 100 armed men there and see if we can come to some sort of agreement with the natives. I wish to make good on my promise to the anthropologists and avoid hurting as many as possible. I killed a chieftain today. Or what I presume was a chieftain. He ordered us to lay down our weapons, at least from what the anthropologists told us. I shoot him in the head... He falls to the ground without a single yelp or whimper of pain. Some ran in fear, others too fearful to run, of which we captured and took back to camp. The anthropologists and I hate seeing the poor creatures in pain, but this is their fate for the time being. We talked to one of them, a boy no older than ten. He thanked us for killing the chieftain, for his rule was immoral and cruel. I received similar testimonies from the others of this chieftain's cruelty. We told him we were going to help them and make their lives better. I then asked him about the beast and the boy sighed. He told us that it was made by the village. The chieftain, in response to seeing that outsiders appeared on the island, ordered the entire tribe to group in the main village and help construct a guardian. This process took the majority of their energy, but not three days later, the chieftain ordered the young village men to come with him and to fight. The beast had been killed. He said, the chieftain said, we were going to kill the men and violate the women. The anthropologist took me aside. He said that these villagers were an anomaly. I concurred, as it was not normal for people to craft flesh. But he said even aside from that, this shouldn't be possible. When I asked why, he responded that this language was a combination of European and Polynesian languages. Along with that, these villagers didn't look like Polynesians, as their skin was light-toned unless they traveled across the world to this island. Some of the men brought us to the village. Couldn't have been more than 300 men and women. Their houses weren't made of wood or stone, but masses of flesh which bulged and moaned. These were made from the bodies of the dead as a way to make sure their deaths were not worthless. They wore wet flesh on themselves, which to me seemed more disgusting than the houses themselves. Most of the village was terrified of the chieftain, not even attempting to go back for the body, fearful that it wouldn't be dead. Some were terrified of the new arrivals, while others asked the elder, who graciously suggested they wait before jumping to conclusions about their new guests. The majority followed the elders, a sacred group who had, until very recently, led their tribe. Homelessness was non existent. They seemed to have no outsiders or undesirables, whether it be in a caste system such as India or economic status such as in Europe and the rest of the Americas. Men and women are not separated based on sex, but based on their nature. Men and women hunt. Men and women search for food. They mostly subsist on meat, but fruits exist on this island as well. I saw families rush from their houses to some of the men we captured and smothered them with kisses and hugs and cries that they were okay and safe. I saw a man cry in front of another, barely standing up. I asked Ohashi what was happening. He said that they were husbands. I wished to know nothing more. I asked some others if there was a village elder. They said there were once many, but all of them were slaughtered by the chieftain. Originally the island had been run by wise old men who knew the religion studied their practice since birth, and had their oral history since the beginning of their tribe many thousands of years ago. The chieftain, originally an apprentice of one of them, rose up and killed them along with the other apprentices. He mastered the arts of craft and flesh at an early age, and could form entire beasts in an instant. I asked if there was anyone else who could give me the history of these people. There was one last remaining elder, the chieftain's father. When I questioned them on where they acquired the large mass of flesh, they told me that in the quest to make the beast, they had used up all their reserves. Seeing an opportunity to make right with the community, I told them that we had a large supply of food on our ships, and that if they needed to, we would provide them with as much food as possible. However. "'I needed an agreement from the leader of this tribe. "'They would agree to whatever proposal I had if the elder did so, "'who, according to them, would always put their own interests aside for the good of the village. "'We told him our offer, which he accepted, and thanked us for being so generous. "'He hugged us, and went out of the tent and called for the entire village,' saying that the men would be generous and give us food as they planted their own. Our men transported food to them. One complained to me that they were giving away their food. I agreed, but told them that this was necessary to gain the trust. Then, once this occurred, we would be able to civilize them. We have established our capital city around the village. We've been training some of the hunters to hunt with our rifles, and they teach us their homeland and their agriculture. They place a newborn creature into the ground and bury it. The soil accelerates their growth. The elder says this is a sign from Ion that the island is one of his many holy lands. They planted newborn swines into the ground and will wait a couple months for them to develop. Until then, hunting other creatures, such as birds and fish, will be enough to satisfy them. I must remember to get cows and chickens and normal pigs from my newfound supplier. Swine is an excellent dish, but not something civilized people should feed on. I had a thought many nights ago. What if I am meant to bring these people an empire? It is a strange thought, but considering everything else that is going on in the past months, is it so strange to think this? Is there truth to this? Or at the very least, elements of truth in it? I must think on this. I went into the mines today, and these mines definitely have gold. You could probably go down many, many miles... Down below the crust of the earth. I come from a gold family. It's in my bones. Even my first job was mining gold, so I know there's gold here. My men whisper of leaving with the gold. I cannot allow that to happen. I must create an economy here to strengthen ourselves here. Assuming I have enough here to operate the mines. I must have others work on creating currency. Gold is humanity's oldest currency, but these people know nothing of money. They don't even have a barter economy, instead sharing with one another. I've heard of socialism amongst the Europeans, and this is the closest I can think of of socialism. With few resources, it forces cooperation amongst them. It's beautiful in a way, but not conducive to a civilized society, at least in the economic sense. I need to solve the labor crisis before my men forsake me. I asked the elder a hypothetical question. Would it be possible for a human child to be planted in the ground, and for a full-grown adult to come in its place? He looked at me strangely. They answered, yes, it is, but is generally viewed as inhumane, as it destroys the lifespan of the child. Well, it is said in the past that in times of disaster, children will be planted. This is only done when no other possibility is available. He then asked me why I was asking such odd questions, and I told him that I was planning. He seemed shocked at first horrified even. But then I described to him our future plans. I told him that I thought I was to be the bringer of the Empire, and that with our weaponry and resources, we'd bring it about in quick order. We brought him to the gold mine and the ships, and showed him the maps of the world. I told him that together with these people's innate abilities, we could bring the entire world under our reign. I described how commerce worked, leaving out references to competition as I know would offend his cultural sensibilities. When I described to him how every nation on this planet had this and the necessity of democratic institutions, he seemed more amicable to my plans. He approved of our plan, but told us to make it swift, To make sure the parents do not witness this, I promised him this. He told the members of the community that it is a moral imperative to start producing offspring as soon as possible. Ohashi looked at me with disdain throughout the entire procedure. It's been nearly three months since my last entry, and I feel sick for what I've done. I feel unclean. Nearly every woman on the island is pregnant. I feel disgusting. I cannot go into the village without feeling disgusting. I feel immoral. I feel evil. I can see their faces. I know what I am. I beg for Christ's forgiveness, and I know he reviles me as well. I threw my Bible out into the sea, because I could feel it berating me. I could feel it berating me for what I've done. But I need to do this. I need to civilize these people. If I don't, who will? The British? The Americans? any other horrible, immoral power that slaughters its people. If I leave, will the same befall these children of nature? I pray to a God whose back is turned on me. A child waved to me today, and I cried, because I know that child's brother will be the first one in the ground. I threw up. I have sinned. I am sin. It has been six months, and I cannot bring myself to reflect on my thoughts anymore. Occasionally I'm plagued by nightmares of children rising from the ground and gnawing on me. They're popping out of the ground and grabbing me and bringing me under. I see myself having dirt flung on me. And they're still grabbing with their tiny little hands and crying for their mother. And I know I'm bleeding and I'm crying out for God. But God has turned his back on me. It is done. The sin is done. I told some of the men to get their guns. Ohashi as well. He seemed disgusted at himself. He talked to himself in many languages I didn't recognize. I had never seen him this way before. The other men began to get nervous. The elder of the village told me most of the children were already born, anywhere from a couple weeks to multiple months, all of sufficient age to be used. The elder had performed his part. I then ordered my men to go into the tents and take the children, and to not shoot. I had to look away for most of it. Most of the children were ripped from their mother's and father's arms as they cried. Others tried to stab at us, but were beaten into submission. One of our men broke down. He went into the tent and saw mother with her bone knife. She held onto her baby as tight as possible, tears running down her face. "'She cried to Ion "'for him to save her son from these monsters. "'The man began to cry himself. "'Jethro lost his son and daughter "'in the blood disputes of Appalachia. "'He couldn't bring himself to fight back "'and broke down. "'We had to have one of our men bring him in "'and beat the mother into submission. "'She screamed for Ion.' Her savior, for forgiveness of whatever sin she committed to deserve this punishment. She begged, she screamed, eventually taking one of our guns and shooting our man. We lost the child in the scuffle. She was put down. The elder was attempting to console the village who had begged him for assistance. He wept but told them it was for the greater good, for Ion told him that the Empire would come in time due to this. Until then, do not resist, for it may anger Ion. By the end of the nightmare, we had over three hundred children. We began the process of burying them. I still hear their cries, feeling the dirt, Enter their mouths and enter their bodies and lungs and stomach and everywhere else. They will be birthed soon. According to legend, the arm will be what signifies the second birth. Two weeks have passed, and the men are still disturbed at the events. Many seek to go home, others cry of nightmares. I feel something in my stomach weighing me down. I have this revolver next to me. I imagine myself putting the revolver in my mouth and cocking the hammer and shooting. May God take me from my mortal coil and rip me apart. I am a liar and disgusting fraud to all men. Ohashi never speaks to me anymore only sleeping and occasionally eating. The nightmares only get worse. They're not screaming anymore, but whispering. They're whispering about what they'll do to me. Hundreds of voices whispering in the black dirt around me, holding on to me and describing my death. I will be ripped apart by Ion himself. I am no more civilized than the barbarians I am trying to save. God, please forgive me. I ruined the island. God, I wish I could turn back. Turn back and pretend none of this happened. But if I leave now, the men will be angry for all their time and effort and ruined. Not only that, but the island now relies on my supplies. It won't be for many months, if not years, that their food stock will be brought back up to its previous circumstances. If I do, they're all going to starve. If I leave, I will ruin these people. Shown then that the white man can't be trusted and forever snap the connection between us and them. No. I can't let that happen. I need to stay. I need to. I am a monster. I am unforgivable. I am sin itself. I'm so sorry. It has been three months, and there's been a second birth. I stepped foot onto the pastures in the middle of the island for the first time in three months. Limbs dotted the landscape. Full-grown adult arms jutting out of the ground, covered in dirt and sunburn. Some of my men have already started pulling them out of the ground. The elder tells me it takes a while before full humans wake up. Women were placed into the care of the village as they are necessary for future reproduction, and the men dropped off at the shipyard for future mining. Barracks have been built for them, and they will be taught how to mine and fashion coinage for the island. We will repeat the process. I have written my constitution. I lifted many aspects from the American one, Most of the men, despite many reservations with me, will vote for me in the election. If I let the villagers vote, I will certainly lose. These men know that without me they'll certainly die without the perceived friendship with Ohashi. Ohashi did not respond to me when I said I wrote the Constitution. Not that I blame him. I told the elder that I won the presidency, and he congratulated me. He then asked how the second birthers were. I told them the mines were working at an increased efficiency, and that we were creating the first batch of currency. We opened the stores and gave each villagers enough coin to buy a couple of things. We told them that if they wished to continue this, they would need to accept the following. To have their tents destroyed and replaced with wooden houses. Many of them rejected this as an insult to their culture and that it would make them selfish and self-destructive. We told them it was either the house or the stores. Many accepted, although many of the older members still refused. By the end of the day every tent was destroyed and construction began. Many of these men and women are hard workers. Gold production is increasing, and even small farms are beginning. But yet I come across another problem. I need to rid these people of their collective farms. Collective farm makes it difficult to encourage enterprise, because one must always think the collective soil. However, I decided to give the elder plans about this, And he told me, if it meant the Empire be created faster, so be it. I am Sin. Today I put down a revolt in the streets. When I announced my plan for the farms to be split amongst the best farmers in the community, they universally rejected it. They yelled at me. Then they began to scream. Then they began to attack my men. One of my men, Henry, began to panic, and so drew his pistol and shot two men. This further inflamed the violence. I called Ohashi to quell the violence, but there was nothing he could do. They burnt down the store stealing things from inside claiming that it was a violation of their culture some even tried stealing our guns I called in my men and they began putting it down gunshots rang out in the village eventually ending in the death of 50 people the elder being one of them we put the revolt down a good fourth of our original population was slaughtered in the streets and by my men. God forgive me for what I've done. I called them barbarians, killers, and thieves. I killed a third of every man in the city as I needed the women alive for the birthing. On the next day I took every small child in the village and buried them again. The nightmares get worse and worse, but I know one thing. I will build my empire. One bullet at a time. It's definitely a bit more clear now on why the Foundation had to step in to control things here. With that, we're given a summary of the Foundation's initial discovery and containment of the Republic. They first discovered it during the republic's invasion of the northern island of British New Zealand. There were reports prior to this of an undiscovered force in Polynesia causing havoc across the smaller, sparsely populated islands, but once they invaded New Zealand in 1861, the foundation couldn't ignore it. It took less than a day for the republic and its 5,000 men to take over the island, with a collective 200 dead. After this, the foundation declared Taylor's republic to be the top priority in the region. By the end of the month, an international coalition of Spain, Japan, Netherlands, France, and Great Britain had been called together by the foundation to combat the republic. General Bo was placed in charge of the coalition, and despite the coalition preventing the republic from gaining new ground, they couldn't manage to regain any of the conquered territory. This changed when the vice president and leader of religious affairs of the republic, Ohashi Hachigoro, wrote to 0 052, an old friend, and offered the foundation near unlimited information about the republic's military operations, tactics, weaknesses, and possibly rebel groups in the region. The only thing that Ohashi wanted in return was that the general population of the republic be unharmed. The foundation, of course, couldn't help but accept, and proceeded to deliver a variety of armaments to Ohashi and his rebel groups. The decisive factor, however, was the Battle of South Island, which began with dozens of bone ships on the horizon, their hulls made of femur bones, which made cannon fire near impossible, and with eyes covering every part of the vessel, to make boarding them impossible. General Bow gave his men the order to hold their ground in order to defend the island, but in private he prepared a different plan. As part of leading the coalition, Bo had been given temporary level 5 status in the foundation, giving him access to information a normal general wouldn't have. One thing he learned about was MTF Theta-01, which was formed during the foundation's civil war in 1814, and is composed of anomalous individuals drawn from persons of interest, staff, and SCPs. They had proven their loyalty to the Foundation, and were called upon as an ace in the hole during times of disaster. When General Bowe ordered them to destroy the fleet of bone ships, they were only too glad to answer, frying the fleet with a large thaumic blast from the sky. By the end of the year, the Republic had been all but beaten, and was near collapse. Ohashi, seeing an opportunity that the Battle of South Island left open, ordered his rebel groups to attack the capital. Within the span of two months, the capital was laid to ruins, with over 17,000 casualties on the republic's side. Despite the mass destruction, Ohashi came out the victor, declaring himself the president of the republic and called for elections of the House of Representatives, Senate, and for the church to call in delegates. Taylor, realizing he had nothing left to lose, attempted one final assault on the Capitol, grabbing the handful of men still loyal to him. They marched on the Capitol building and ordered Ohashi to surrender, telling him that he would pardon him if he did. Ohashi instead had Taylor's men slaughtered in the street, and Taylor himself gagged and thrown into a jail cell to be used as leverage. The other islands that the republic had conquered had been regained by the coalition, with minimal damage, but the foundation wanted to take over the republic entirely to ensure containment. The coalition, however, unfamiliar with foundation policy, were not willing to plan a full-out invasion of the island and Ohashi, of course, was not willing to cooperate. He refused to allow foundation representatives onto his island and ordered his military to arrest any foundation officers that arrived. Rather than destroying the island then, they resorted to containing it, and it remains their biggest failure. We're next given a series of excerpts from interviews taken during the modern day. These interviews were conducted with citizens of the republic under the guise of a reporter from the capital. One citizen says that he can speak english, although he tends to use it sparingly and only the city ones really use it. The rest use the traditional language, the ones their ancestors used to communicate with ion before they were cut off. Ion cut them off because they use metal and they're wandering in the dark now. He says that they don't use machines though, instead using flesh and bones like they always have and always will. Whenever he holds one of those things in his hand, he feels unclean in his own skin, like a spirit is massaging his skin and scalp in a horrifically uncomfortable way. Many of the farmers out here don't use machines but he thinks it's more due to their economy than their beliefs. Another citizen says that the sewers here are one of the worst things he's ever seen. The pipes are alive as well, growing and expanding outward, and they need to encourage it to go in the right direction. They cut a couple limbs off here and there, and they scream and squeal, but they need to transport their waste in the right direction. That isn't the worst part, in his opinion though, which is the homeless critters that are underneath the city. They don't bother bringing the limbs back up, instead just letting the critters eat them. Since the pipes are filled with their waste, he doesn't know how desperate a man has to be before eating flesh covered in human waste, but that's desperation if he's ever seen it. Another citizen discusses the foundation calling them a scourge, and he finds their current president's rhetoric amoral and perhaps dangerous for platforming on mending their relationship with the foundation. Another rural citizen claims to not keep track of what the president is doing, and says that the city dwellers are too concerned with technology and metal, rather than their savior, Ion. He says that they are all absorbed back into his body in the end anyways. Another citizen discusses the state of other religions on the island, saying that it is unnatural for people of other religions to be here, and it's a danger to their society. They don't think that these people deserve what's happening to them, but they shouldn't be surprised by the reaction either. This is a holy nation founded on Ion's beliefs and desires, and although they personally abhor violence, they just want a peaceful cleansing of this nation. Speaking to a non Sarkic citizen, they discuss a time when they went looking in the woods after hearing some murmuring and screams. He found a dozen Sarkics wearing large, fleshy tendrils on their persons and symbols of one of the nearby warlord camps. The man began to walk away, but fell into a pit filled with bodies, all in various states of rottage, with worms crawling around in their eyes, and maggots eating holes inside of their faces and throats and god knows where else. His thud attracted the Sarkic's attention, so the man gripped his shotgun and hid under the bodies, praying to his savior for forgiveness and protection. The Sarkiks spoke in hushed whispers and one poked the body that he was laying under. He could smell her rotting corpse and saw that her eyes weren't there anymore, just glassy holes that used to contain humanity. He peeked out and saw the Sarkix holding flesh weaponry with black-red tendrils popping out of their backs, revealing their skeletons and organs. He aimed for one of these backs, hoping to strike a heart or other vital organ, and fired, managing to blow out not only his brains, but also his heart and skeleton as well. He then ran as far as possible, occasionally firing back as a warning, and managed to escape. He went to the police in the city the following morning, and they checked out the pit. There wasn't a single person without Christian or Islamic iconography in that pit. Another citizen says that the foundation is their protector as well as their slaver. They protect their borders, but only under the auspices of keeping them in bondage. Their military isn't for protecting them from other countries, but rather an international agency bent on their destruction. He has heard stories of the Republic trying to court the GOC or the GRU, but to no avail, and he wonders if he'll ever see his homeland of Japan again. Someone else says that their battle with the foundation isn't only an ideological battle over independence and centralization, but a battle over science and religion. He believes that the foundation is not only a physical force, but a spiritual one as well. They are the force that seeks to contain who you are and what you are and wish to contain their religion to keep it from spreading as it should across the world. Another citizen sometimes worries that their people are too focused on an upcoming defensive battle with the foundation. The rural people wish for peace and their common religion, while the cities seek outside products like phones, the internet, and other technological equipment. The foundation is a threat to their religion and their ability to connect to the outside. He worked for the military for two years, and they all know that a war is coming, even if they don't want to admit it. If there is a war, their country will burn. Finally, someone else wonders why they're here. They understand how they're here, but don't know why. They wonder if they're just trying to keep the experiment their founder had many years ago, or their second president, or are they trying to survive against the oppressive forces of the foundation. They don't know, but they do know what they are, and that's enemies of the foundation. That binds them all together, although they're unsure of how much longer that will last. The last section of the document is a draft of a treaty that the council has written up between the foundation and the republic. The treaty involves the Adatite Republic of Polynesia being officially recognized by the foundation, and will be allowed the conditions of trade and self-determination under foundation supervision. The foundation will to the best of its abilities protect the current regime of the republic, its interests, and its people. The republic will in exchange relinquish all responsibilities to the foundation in the case of an anomalous phenomenon within the republic. If there is an anomalous humanoid in the republic outside of standard anomalous capabilities, the authorities will detain and revoke the citizenship of said humanoid and place it at the nearest foundation site in the region. They will also allow the construction of a foundation site on the island to contain any anomalous objects or entities that may inhabit the country. Finally, they will allow the foundation to use physical or human resources in the region for the purposes of furthering containment of an item, or serving foundation needs. As this is currently only a draft, it's unknown on if the two groups will actually come to an agreement, and how long it might last. Things were pretty clear when Taylor was in charge of the republic. He was a little mad and wanted to build a sarkic empire, so the foundation swiftly stepped in to stop him. In the process, they managed to avoid taking control of the republic entirely, instead leaving it in the hands of Taylor's number two. That's when things get a little trickier, as now they have a nation of anomalous people that don't have any interest in conquering land, so the foundation has to decide on how nice they're willing to be. The people of the republic know that they wouldn't win a war against the foundation, but at the same time, such an event would be pretty public in the modern age. Perhaps this treaty will go well, and peace will be had but at the same time, the people of the republic itself seem to be somewhat divided between embracing the old ways and accepting new ones. At the end of the day, the foundation's goal is containment, however that might be achieved.